right, here we go. It is a brand new, as you see in the title, Stick to Hockey Live, episode 57. No musical intro this time. It's Jason Martinez, and that is Anthony DeMarco coming to you live from the Great White North. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. Uh, I guess a bit less of a hectic schedule down there, right? For, uh, or not schedule, just a bit of a less less hectic vibe this time around last year all hell or last week all hell broke loose and now everyone could kind of breathe a bit before i guess more fucking uh, dominoes become begin to drop yeah and you know we're hearing more and more about names for president and possible options and where they may go i'll tell you last night at the game you know it's the first time they've been back here and had a home game since uh, everything happened on friday and it, there was definitely a lot of chatter about it a lot of you know people talking about it behind the scenes and all over the place. And I imagine it was the talk in the stands as well as they had a 5-3 loss against Vegas last night. You know, for the the tank people, that was kind of the perfect scenario last night. Play a game, battle back, get within one, but ultimately end up losing it and don't collect any points. And you couple that with the fact that, you know, a couple of the teams that they're, I guess, pseudo-battling with for uh, losing – all got points last night. Montreal, Arizona, Chicago, San Jose, Columbus all pick up points on the Flyers last night. As Don Wilno tweeted me, that uh, take a competitive L could be the best night of this damn season, she says. No, honestly, you look at it, they're 28th in the NHL right now. You know, now I would find it kind of crazy if they were able to be passed by the Ducks. You know, the Ducks are five points back, same amount of games in hand. But, I mean, just for all those people that were – it's crazy. Arizona's kind of on a heater right now. Yeah. I didn't even realize how, uh, you know, one, two games for the last ten or heater as far as they're concerned, I should say. Yeah. But, Bottom of the standings heater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, – the te- how would you say? The, yeah, the, bo- the bottom dweller he- heater. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a dignified tank. That's what I like to call it, the Flyers are doing right now. They're, they're playing hard. But they're coming up short, and that's what you want to see, right? Like, you never want to encourage losing as much as, you know, you want a better draft pick. You're never going to ask your players or your coaches try to coach to lose. But when you see guys working their bag off as much as a game like last night, and they still come out on the wrong end, and you're that much closer to maybe getting a better draft pick when all is said and done, I guess it is a best-case scenario, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And right now, I mean, you see where they're sitting – and from a winning percentage or points uh, percentage, they are yeah, the fifth worst team in the league. They have an 8.5% chance at the uh, top pick. And, uh, you know, they have obviously greater chances now of also landing in, you know, a different, uh, a high pick other than number one. It's not just about number one. We'd like to see number one. But when you look at the pick odds right now, uh, the Flyers have an 8.5% chance at one, 8.8 at two. Uh, they can't get three or four, but they can get five. They have a 24.5% chance at five, 44.2 at six, and 13.9 for pick seven. So we'll see where it goes. You never know. You know, if they could not fall any lower than number seven, they're going to be in a very good spot, right? Like yeah. you're not going to get maybe a generational game breaker like Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson, but you're still going to get a very good hockey player. Like I'm not all brushed off and all the second tier players, but like you look at a guy like Will Smith, who I believe Bob McKenzie said when he did his midseason draft rankings, many scouts consider him to have the best hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not mistaken, but I think he might be going to BC next year, if I'm not oh, mistaken. He might be joining Cutter Gauthier. 
if he yeah. decides to return, I think he will return. And yeah. the encouragement would be for him to return. Well, especially given where the Flyers' direction are going, right? Like, if you yeah. were going to be a competitive team next year, you could say, oh, maybe you could bring him in, play him on the left wing, ease him in a bit. But, like, you don't want to make the same mistake that, let's say, the Canadians made with just Barry Cockney. Now, Cockney made the, the NHL as a rookie. But the point still stands that you don't want to rush in a guy if he's not quite ready. And, you know, Cutter is playing, you know, he, it's not even like he's playing overseas in, like, a Swedish league against Ben or whatever. He's playing against uh, college kids. And I will say, though, that uh, playing in the um, in the uh, NCAA, is it the NCAA or the USHL? Uh, the it's Boston the NCAA, NCAA. yeah, USHL. Yeah the, the NCAA, yeah, the NCAA. I would say it kind of probably prepares you better than uh, playing in, like, the OHL or the CHL in terms of breaking in right away because those kids are playing a lot against teenagers as opposed to, you know, guys in college you are playing against guys who could go all the way up to 25 years old like yeah. i know I, I just for an example a kind of a personal example is like uh, you obviously know mike matheson he grew up uh, about uh, 25 minutes away from me 20 minutes not even uh same little town point claire where my fiance grew up from and instead of going to the quebec major league he actually went the college route in the united states and it's worked out pretty well for him so i think uh so far so good on the cutter goats head development front yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. There's you see more and more players going that NCAA route and having NHL success, whether they stay one year, two years, or four years. A guy like Noah Cates did, Wade Allison stayed four years, and there's other players that have done that as well. You know, and the interesting thing is, is apparently BC has a really good incoming class. So that may be, you know, give the kids some more success and then better prepare them to come up here and have success when he gets here as well. So I would not be opposed to him going back in any way, shape, or form. You know, the interesting thing, though, Ant, is this. is We know that Ron Hextall and Chuck Fletcher really preferred 200-foot players. You know, so, so, they're, so their mindset going in and looking at players for the draft or prospects or guys to trade for were very responsible 200-foot players. And they're great to have, and you have to have them. You have to have a good amount of them. But you also need players that are just offensive guys that can put the puck in the net. And, yeah, they're going to give up something defensively when they're on the ice. They're not great defensive guys, but they're really good offensive guys. So they become a net positive player, and you have to put them with the right players. Uh, that's one thing with a new GM, and presuming that's going to be Danny Briard, I think that's pretty safe to say, even though it's not announced that I don't know his philosophy on the 200 foot player. This is one of the great unknowns about his thinking and how he is about roster building and what works in today's NHL. Yeah. And I think Chuck Fletcher was a bit better in that regard or depending on which way you look at it. But I think he was a bit more like apt to take a risk than Ron Hextall in terms of the 200 foot player. Like, I look at even a pick that burned them in that regard. You know, when they took Samu Tuamala in the second round, mm -hmm. and the guy who went directly after him was Logan Stankoven, who looks like he's probably going to be a pretty good player in the NHL. And I think that even last season, uh, or the last draft, rather, like, Cutter Goetze was more of, like, an upside pick as opposed to maybe a slam dunk pick to get, like, uh, knowing what you were going to get more was a David Yurichek, and we're seeing the early returns on Yurichek and how he's playing in uh, in Cleveland of the AHL. 
But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you you look at Chuck Fletcher's first ever pick as the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, and you pass on on Cole Caulfield to draft Cam York. And I do think that it there has to be a priority here under presumably Danny Briere's tenure as GM, where you're going to have to start banking high on that high end talent and upside because there's are so only so many guys that you could draft to be that middle six type. And I think more specifically under Ron Hextall, we just saw that far too often. Yeah. I mean, Hextall took a swing on obviously Jay O'Brien and there was, he was an upside pick. Now it hasn't worked, but you got to, you got to take a swing. Sometimes put your cheese on the line. Um, you know, and Hexy also, you know, picked Konechny, who's not a great defender though, too. Um, but yeah, you're going to need some of those guys. Philosophically, I, I, I'm talking to Danny tomorrow. I'm taping him for an interview for Flyers Daily for Friday. Um, so I'm talking to him tomorrow at 2. And that that's a question I got to ask. Philosophically, how do you build the team? Because he said this in his press conference. You know, we all have our own opinions. And, you know, the opinions of Chuck Fletcher aren't going to be the exact same of Danny Briere uh, by proxy because he worked under him for a year as a special advisor. <laughs> so he's going to have his own opinions on how to do this and, you know, how this front office reshapes, you know, we've heard names like Shane Doan. We've heard uh, Ray Whitney guys that he played with and is tight with. Um, I know Mike Greer at the GM meeting said, uh, look out for sneaky B is what they call <laughs> because while he's a gentleman and everything, he is one of those guys that's an insane competitor and will do whatever it takes to win. And if that translates into the GM chair, that's an aggressive mindset of, I gotta, you know, I gotta make, I gotta make shit happen. Yeah, and you know, and he, he's a guy that's had to work to where he's gone, right? Like we've talked about this a lot. It's not like he retired and the next thing you knew he was working the Flyers front office. Like he had to go and work like work really hard in the ECHL, learn how to manage an organization down there. Then slowly but surely started, even before it was announced, working behind the scenes as uh, in like player development and scouting. And then eventually gets that official title slapped on him. Uh, about 14 months ago at this point. And like we talked about last week, was in serious consideration for the Montreal Canadiens GM job, was in consideration for the Arizona Coyotes AGM job. Like this is a guy who has worked very hard to get where he is. And I think it's going to be very important to see who he surrounds himself with as his other assistant GMs. Like obviously he gave an endorsement to Brent Flair. I mean, I'm not sure what ends up becoming a Brent Flair. Like we know his long standing connection with Chuck Fletcher. And I don't think at the end of the day, it's going to be Briere making that final decision. So who knows? But I think that, you know, you got to give Briere a chance here, right? And I think that you look at Chuck Fletcher's era of drafting. We, I think we kind of know what we got of Ron Hexel. You know, the, obviously the crown jewels there are Konechny, Carter Hart, and Ivan Provorov, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Travis Sanheim. And, you know, maybe with the exception of Carter Hart, all very nice players, but none game-changing players. Yeah. In the case of Chuck Fletcher, I think it's really going to depend on what happens with Cutter Gauthier. That's obviously the crown jewel. But then you have some other guys like Tyson Forster, Bobby Brink, Cam York is going to be a very interesting pick. Even the uh, the Russian goaltender Kolosov. Yeah. I, I do think when we look back, maybe in two years from now, we're going to say like, oh, maybe the Chuck Fletcher era wasn't a complete waste because I do think his his draft history looks already better than what Ron Hextall's was. But like you said, there's only one player in there with serious, serious upside, and that's Cutter Gauthier, and that's something that clearly has to change. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's got a hit. He's got to be. I said this the other day. Some of these prospects that they have, <clears throat> whether that Endenoye, who's a fifth round pick, yeah, turned out to be a sneaky, really good pick. Uh, but guys like Tyson Forster, Cam York, and you know, obviously Cutter Gauthier and others, maybe Emil Andrea um, as well, got to not only be what they were projected to be or what they hope they would be, but maybe even more. You know, a couple of those guys got to be more like Tyson Forster might be a guy that's more because when he gets to the NHL, he may be a guy that was good in the AHL, had a good AHL experience and did well. But when he got to the NHL, really exploded because that happens a lot. Some players don't even know the unlocking of their capabilities until they play with the best players in the world. So putting him with the right players around him, too, I think will be a huge element of it for Tyson Forster, I thought he looked good again last night. He looks really – he looked to me, he looks ready next year. He's ready. His body's yeah. ready. He's gotten bigger. He's taller. He's stronger. The shot's outrageous. I think he's ready for sure. Yeah, you know, I think it was about a month or two ago I was talking some with the Flyers, and they were telling me that right now they're kind of projecting him to be a third liner. Like, that's kind of like how they're looking at him. But obviously with his shot and what he could maybe do on the power play – they would there's a good possibility that he could be a second liner i think if that if he becomes kind of like a a 20 to 25 goal scorer who's like a power play option who could play your second line that's a win for tyson forster like you said i think the one guy in my mind that would really change a lot here if he can kind of overachieve as to what his initial projection would be i think that would be cam york Mm -hmm. like if cam york can develop into like maybe not even like an elite guy but just like a, a number one, like kind of like an, a Hampus Lindholm type, like yeah. that kind of defender who's like maybe not elite, but is a number one blue liner. I think that could change a lot for this team because at least then if you move on from, let's say, Ivan Provorov, which I think is a very good chance this summer, you could be like, okay, well, at least we got this guy to take on his fault, the minutes that he's going to give up. And Gautier, I mean, like I think we're all like in my case, I think you're – you got a first line player in there, but it's yet to be seen. Is he going to be a game breaking first line player? Is he going to be a center? Is he going to be a wing? But, you know, I think of all the guys that they have, the one guy, if I had to pick, that I would hope would overachieve would be Cam York because I think the other guys have decently fair projections, especially go to. But I think York, most people still kind of figure him to be that second pair type guy, kind of maybe a Travis Sandheim type of tier. If he could get to just that next level, like a, like a Hampus Lindholm type, I think they could be in really good shape. Yeah, no question. And uh, obviously, the high-end talent we talked about, the draft. I mean, I, I hope Danny is one of those guys that, you know, good fortune and good luck follow him. You know, you, you always have a friend in your life where it's like, Jesus, dude, you always, the, you have the luckiest shit happen to you. You also have a friend in your life where it's like, dude, you have the worst luck in the world. Like, you know, you're backing out of a grocery store and somebody slams into your car. Just one of those guys, right? I don't know what Danny Luck has been in his life, but um, uh, Drago, Drago629 says that, uh, love this show. Thank you, Drago. Leave us a five-star rating and review then if you love it so much. Um, And we'd like to get your opinion. Do you think Danny Briere would leave the Flyers if he does not get the GM job since he believes he is ready for that position? Um, I, I don't think it's going to come to this. I really don't. I just don't believe that, that he's not going to get the position. I think the Flyers, when he was up for as a finalist for that job in Montreal last year, 
determined we can't lose this guy because he is the heir apparent. So I don't think that's going to be the case, but I don't know if he would leave or not. If opportunities there, then yeah. you'd have to consider it. We just don't know what kind of opportunity would be there for him. I think that's the key. Like if let's say he got, let's like you said, I don't think he's not going to be the GM, but let's say in an alternate universe, he's the AGM. And then Team X comes calling this summer to give him the job. Yes, I think he would strongly consider it. And like you talk about guys who deserve it. Like I, I think that he's a guy that has earned this position. And like just on a side note, like being up here in Montreal, like I have seen his face more on the television, I think, than I've seen my fiance in the last couple of days. Like it, I was yeah. at the gym this morning at 6.30 a.m. And all the TVs just had Breer's face on LDS or TV Spa. Like it's just all Danny Breer all the, all the time right now up here in Quebec. And for good reason, right? Like it's very proud when uh, a Quebecer becomes a um, uh, gets a prominent position in the H in the NHL. I think he's the only second Quebecois general manager right now. I hope I think that's the case. Aside from Julien Brisebois, um, I, I don't know about Pierre Dorian. I don't know if he's from Quebec or if he just speaks French from Ottawa. I would have to double check that. But look, I, just to go back on your point there, I think it is a very deserving position, assuming he gets the job. And look, you also have to kind of, I, I understand the thing of people being hesitant that, oh, here we go again, another former flyer with the job and all that. But as we said last week, I don't think it's kind of the same type of situation. I, I don't put Danny Breer in like the same group as I would put Paul Holmgren and Bill Barber and and Bobby Clark. And to be fair, I don't even think I would have put Ron Hextall into that because yeah. these are guys that went to other organizations first and really, you know, grinded to get where they are. And in Ron Hextall's case, won two or no, won one Stanley Cup yeah. as an assistant GM. So, and the fact of the matter is, is that most general managers nowadays are former players, and oftentimes for your former teams. And you have to kind of look look past that and just see: is this guy capable of the job and deserving of the job based on his resume? Yeah, and and the thing with Briere too. Well, like anonymous tweets in again or messages in again he says is, is it a good process to just choose briere instead of conducting an exhaustive search process i'd like to see some poaching from some more successful front offices and that's where like a guy like tolsky comes in with carolina um look i think they're still going to do that i think that's part of the interim tag because they don't know for sure i don't know that they know that he's the president or he's the gm or you know, you always do a search because you can get a lot of information about your team, what other people see in the team and, you know, what what they would do. Because when you interview for a GM job, you put together an action plan, a flow chart of what you want to do, and you get a lot of information that way. So I think they will talk to a lot of people. Um, I think ultimately it's a pretty simple decision for him that he's going to be the guy. So we'll see. I mean, he certainly sounds like he's the guy right now, the way way he's talking. And good on them because I think that's what you're supposed to do. You know, don't dress for the job you have. You have dress for the job you want. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I I know that we're all kind of assuming him to be the general manager when all is said done, and I wouldn't be. And I think that is the most likely scenario. But I also wouldn't completely rule out of him ending up as president of hockey ops because, like, that you've brought up some, like, you've heard some names. Like obviously Chris Pronger and maybe Lindros and Mellenby, or uh, to a lesser extent um, Eddie Olchek, and I believe it was Sarah Volley said that they've had 
discussions with uh, Eddie Olchek, like going back to like over yeah. a year from now. But then you listen to some other names, like guys like Robert Ash, guys like Ray Whitney, guys like Shane Doan. And to me personally, and these guys are like, one thing you have to realize is that a lot of these guys could be being considered for AGM jobs, right? Like it's not yeah. just under consideration for president or GM. Like the, you're, they're, they're going to round out an entirely brand new front office, in my opinion. But let's say that you're looking to bring in Ray Whitney or Robert Ash for one of those two positions. You know, I would much rather have them as GM and Danny serve as the president, if that's the case, because I think that, you know, would it make sense for Danny to be answering to Robert Ash as president? Because I do think what's important here is to establish like a proper like power hierarchy. Like you don't want a general met or a president to come in and be like, OK, well, you're the president. Theoretically, you're in charge of all of hockey ops and here's your GM and here's your coach. Right. Yeah. And I think there would only be a select few amount of guys who would even fit that bill. Like Eddie Olchuk is a very interesting one to me. I think he has that personality. But I mean, like, aside from the, the couple of guys I mentioned, if you if we get into the talks of Doan and Ash and Whitney, I don't know if I would want them to be president over Danny. And at that point, maybe Danny's better served to be the president. Yeah, whatever combination is best is what should take place. And I don't know what that is. I think he's more ticketed for the GM chair. Same Because here. I just think that that seems pretty obvious and uh, maybe a ratio. I know some people are for that. Some are against that. They they look at it. A lot of people look at his age and they just, you know, they discount it right there. You know, the one thing that's happening at is the uh, recency bias clouds the mind, you know, because the team the last now three years has been in the gutter and it's been shit. But there's this notion that since the Flyers won the Cups in 74 and 75, that this organization has been in the shitter ever since. And it's just not true. I had a guy tweet me and say they haven't won any championships, so they failed. And failure in sports, there's a lot more failure in sports then there is success if you're holding it to that standard. You know, only one team wins a year. It's hard to win a cup. It really is. I mean, the Rangers have won in like 83 years. They won in 94. And they had the drought since like what, like 1930. Yeah. And so they've won one. But so is that franchise a mess? Well, right now they're a good team, so it's not perceived that way. But they haven't won a cup um, since 94 and won in 83 years. The Leafs haven't won since expansion. You know, they haven't even won around the playoffs with this team. They're not perceived that way. Edmonton's not perceived that way. So, you know, I, I ran some numbers. Since the Flyers won the Cup in 74-75, in um, if I take out, if you have to have played your organization at least 600 games, where do you think the Flyers fall in points percentage in the NHL? I know for a long time they were second behind the Montreal Canadiens. I imagine maybe that's fallen off a bit, so I would say that they're still probably top five. You know, they're second behind the Boston Bruins. The oh, Bruins okay. now, 0.598 points percentage, the Flyers 578. Uh, the Canadians are third, and they haven't won a cup since 94, the last Canadian team to do it, Patrick Waugh. Um, Minnesota Wild. Now they've only played 1,716 games compared to the Flyers, 3,702, but a 561. I never thought the Wild would be that high. Nashville's up there. They've only played 1,878. Uh, Calgary, 543 at number six. The Caps at 542 win per points percentage. 
The Blues at 541, the Penguins at 538, Detroit Red Wings at 535. They've obviously dropped since the 25 straight years being in the playoffs. And then the Rangers are 12, Colorado's 11, Dallas, Buffalo, some of these, you know, the Ducks and some of these organizations, even the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example, right? They played 2,344 games, a 518 win percentage. Flyers are second on that. So, you know, this notion that it's just been shit since they've won the cup is bullshit. And for a lot of that, Bob Clark was a general manager and Paul Holmgren was a general manager. Those guys put together really good teams. Now, a lot of it's pre-salary cap, obviously. And that's different when you have Ed Snyder as an owner who can just have unlimited pocket. But let's let's not let's realize the fact of the matter is they have the second highest win points percentage since they've won the cups. They haven't won one. They went back six times and lost. And you don't get any points for that. But it's a high that's a high points percentage. No, I agree. And, you know, I, I've had this debate more times than I can count with people. And I always just ask, like, would you consider that the San Jose Sharks run from, let's say, 2005 to 2020, was that a failure because they didn't win a Stanley Cup? No. I, I, like, I know they didn't win, but I would argue that that was one of the more successful teams in a lot of ways over that stretch. And, you know, you've also had arguments with people or just debates rather about like I always ask this question, like between 2005 and 2015 or 2018, let's say, to give more of a sample size. Would you have rather had been a fan of the San Jose Sharks or a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes? One won one Stanley Cup in 06 and then didn't make the playoffs for what? 10 years or something. Yeah. And the San Jose Sharks won so many president's trophies, went to two, I think, conference finals, the Stanley Cup final, but they never won the cup. And I think like that's always been an interesting conversation to have, in my opinion. And then you act like, well, or then you ask the question, like, is but is Dave Poyle or or Doug Wilson, are they successful GMs or are they failures just because they won Stanley Cup? And I think specifically in the 2000s, from let's say the year 2000 to, or even if you scale it back a bit, like 97 all the way until the 2012 lockout, how many teams would you have considered more successful than the Philadelphia Flyers over that run, specifically in the Eastern Conference? And I would say, like, aside from the Boston Bruins, the Penguins, and the New Jersey Devils, I can't really point to one one exact you know team and say yeah this has been a better team than the flyers over that stretch maybe the Tampa bay lightning just because they won that one cup in 04 but i mean i think the flyers had a really good stretch from the mid 90s until the 2012 lockout and yes it's been downhill ever since but even though they didn't win a cup in that stretch and let's say the lindros into the primo into the richards era they still were very good teams in that stretch, they had the sixth highest points percentage, 586. The teams that were ahead of them, Detroit, New Jersey, the Dallas Stars, uh, the San Jose Sharks, the Ottawa Senators were fifth. Then the wow. Flyers, Colorado, Vancouver, Buffalo, and Boston is 10th in that period. So that's, that's the 97-98 season through 2011-12. Penguins 13th through that period of time. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, because when you, they only started to get together in like 07, 08, I think, is when they yeah. really started to get shit, their shit on track. So let's look at it even a little bit more focused. So from, you know, the turn of the century, 2000, uh, the 2000-2001 season to this very moment, Flyers right in the middle, 16th in the NHL with a 
points percentage. Some of the teams below them may shock you. Carolina, they've won a cup in that period of time. Anaheim won a cup. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings, 21st, 0.540, won two cups. How about the Chicago Blackhawks, 22nd in points percentage, 0.538. That's crazy. This is bananas when you look at some of it. Yeah, Edmonton, 0.508, 27th. Yeah, because a lot of these things are skewed, right? Because mm-hmm. of like, you know, Chicago, Pittsburgh, even Boston. And we're going for what, 97, you said? No, that was 2000 to two, to, to this moment. Okay, so for, from the turn of the millennium, like yep. people forget, but from like 2000 to 06, 07, you know, the Blackhawks were terrible. The Penguins Hideous. were terrible. Capitals were terrible. The Bruins were terrible. I think even the Los Angeles Kings were tailored terrible. Like a lot of these teams that eventually ascended to the top of the NHL and all those teams that I just mentioned are probably the best four teams from, let's say the 05 lockout until 2015, right? Like where you yeah. have Boston and Pittsburgh on one side and LA and Chicago on the other, but the flip always script, the, the, the script always flips, right? Like we're seeing it now with Carolina, they went what 10 years without making the playoffs and then now they have been one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference for how many years now? The New Jersey Devils, you're starting to see them come back. The Tampa Bay Lightning were another team. Colorado Avalanche. Like, when you're bad for so long, I think eventually it you just inherently become better because of how many picks that you compile. But if you don't do it right, I think we're seeing now that it could take a lot longer than one may actually expect. That window that you talk about there, 2000 to 2000 through the 2006-07 season, Penguins were 27th in the league in points percentage, 4.58. Chicago Blackhawks, 29th out of 30 teams, by the way. Uh, wow. Also in their Washington Capitals, 0.480, 25th in the league. Rangers, 22nd. Fires in that window of time were ninth in the NHL behind Toronto, San Jose, Vancouver, Colorado, the Devil Stars, Ottawa Senators, number two, and Detroit, number one. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... Cliff messages in and says, Jason, great work making the same point I've been saying to my idiot Leaf fan friends. Can you post that stat about the Flyers with the second highest win percentage since 74? People only think about the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's just the truth. There's, It's fun to say that it's been a dumpster fire, but it hasn't. All right, last thing, yet, uh, CL messages in and says, is trading Hart really being considered? It feels like we've been through too much goalie troubles in the past and move on from him, even if he's probably the best player trade chip. We have now. I will tell you, he's his contract's up after next year, so he's eligible to sign an extension um, on July first because he's within a year of the expiration of that deal. He will be an RFA after this contract, still. And you know, when you look at it from the Flyers' perspective, I, I don't think that you get great return on goaltending. I, I really don't. Like, it's one of those things. It's odd to me that a position of such importance. Now he's interesting because he's 24 and he's already got a lot of NHL games under his belt. And I'm not even going to get into Lance Green's tweets about he's not elite. Nobody's hurt. First of all, nobody's saying he's elite and compared him to Steve Mason's time here in Philadelphia. But when you can, (laughs) yeah, it was ridiculous because when you compare Hart from age 20 to 24 and Steve Mason from age 20 to 24, um, Hart edges him in save percentage and is just behind him in goals against average. So, and let's not I mean, act like Steve the team... Mason had a good stretch here, but they're not at all in the same position. 
No, not even close. Hart's been behind a dumpster fire for the most part, except 1920, you know, and then, and Mason, look, there wasn't great D on that team. He pointed out to some D guys, but there was some really good players. I mean, Simmons, Voracek, and that time when he was here, Braden Shen for a period, there's a lot of good players there. So it's not even Kambara Roth. It was an idiotic argument by Lance. And I like Lance, but uh, that was totally idiotic. But as far as trading Hart, I think it's really a, unlikely. I wouldn't trade him this summer. I would see what happens over the next year, what happens with the lottery, what the development of some of these young players are, because you get a better idea of the timeline and uh, that you may be looking at. And you can also get more looks at Sam Harrison as well. You know, he's only played what, like 10 games. That's not nearly enough for me to say, yeah, I'm okay turning that over because Hart is only 24. He's got a ton left. Goalies don't even hit their prime to 25, 26. So I think, I think it's unlikely. Yeah. Like, look, I, I think that it's definitely on the table. And I think that the flyers know that if you want to get the most return for any play on your roster, that guy's name is probably Carter Hart. But, you know, I, you bring up like how many, like how, what kind of return that they could get. And I started like brainstorming when I saw that report uh, from Brian, uh, from Elliot Friedman or read it, or heard it rather. And I started thinking about it. And if you really break it down, like there's not many teams that I could really see backing up the Brinks trucks in terms of a return for Carter Hart. Like I know everyone jumps to the Edmonton Oilers, but they've already they committed Jack to their goal. <laughs> yeah. They, and, and they just extended Stuart Skinner. I think they yeah. gave him, what was it? Three years at 2.8 million. So, I mean, yeah, they're you've committed. The yeah, and then even I thought, like, okay, the Calgary Flames, but even the Calgary Flames, they've committed a lot of money to Jacob Markstrom and Daniel Vladder for the next, I think, two, three seasons. So if you want to bring Carter Hart, you have to probably take back one of those goalies, presumably Jacob Markstrom. The one team that is really interesting to me, and I'm probably missing one, but the one that really jumped out to me is the Ottawa Senators because they've you know they had a pretty good young goalie in philip gustafson and they move him over the summer for cam talbot cam talbot's a ufa at the end of the year i know they have a young guy by the name of matt sogard that i believe they're high on but i think if you have a chance to bring in a carter hart there that's something that's really interesting because now that you've brought in jacob chikrin and you brought in claude Giroux and alex to i think the final piece to that puzzle their long term is a solid goaltender and i think carter hart would fit their timeline perfectly as well then you think about what the return would be you know they didn't want to give up ridley greg for that's the guy i would zone in on they didn't yep. they didn't want to give up ridley greg for jacob chikrin so would they want to give up ridley greg for carter hart tyler bush is an interesting player but i think that's the guy that they're most high on in that organization of players who are not already on the team same thing with Shane Pinto. He's already on the team, and they didn't want to give him up for Jacob Chikrin. They don't have a first, a second, or a third-round pick in this year's draft. So then the problem that you run into with the Ottawa Senators is would they have the necessary assets or be willing to part with the, the adequate assets to bring in a Carter Hart? So I think it all goes back to your original point that moving on from goaltenders isn't usually advantageous because the market just simply isn't there for them. Yeah, it's a weird one. You're not going to get Stutzla out of there. You're not going to get Batherson out of there. I mean, it, I mean, they could be a good team if they get the goaltending. I mean, they got Craig Anderson in there still. He's 150 years old. I mean, Schmott plays a ton of minutes, over 25 a night average. So, 
um, that's an interesting team for sure. Uh, we'll wrap it up there, man. Great work as always. We'll read your stuff on the fourth period.com. Uh, that'll be all the latest news and notes on the flyers and much more. So uh, give Ann a follow on Twitter at a DeMarco 25. And uh, we'll talk next week, brother. Sounds good, man. Take it easy. There he is. Anthony DeMarco on episode 57 of stick to hockey live. You know what we got to do? We got to make everybody a little loop. How about a little tones takes what's going on tone. Oh, look at that background. You hey, what's up, Jason? Look good, man. <laughs> I like it. Very nice. Yeah. You got in the car yeah, today, my, which is beautiful. My basement bar area, so, you know. Yeah. Work from home day today, so. <laughs> Tone, you see what's going on. Uh, the Flyers are getting closer and closer to the bottom here. I mean, everybody in, uh, yeah. you know, in contention for that pick. I brought it up earlier. I got this tweet from Dawn Wilno. She tweets me last or this morning. I guess it was bright and early. Um, I see this tweet when I get up from her. And she says, Montreal, Arizona, Chicago, San Jose, Columbus all pick up points last night on the Flyers. Mm -hmm. And the Flyers take a competitive L. She said it could be the best night of this damn season. So they're getting closer here. Uh, they are. They are. They got, some, they got some playoff teams coming up, too, that they're facing. So and then now with, you know, Carter, Carter Hart sideline for a bit. Just so he's going to be out for a few more days, maybe. So yeah, hey, never know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll catch a break once in this city and kind of, you know. Is that the draft lottery flu, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly i was you know i was just thinking the same thing i just thought before i came on out the same thing popped into my head <laughs> yeah yeah i mean next game they got uh buffalo who's chomping to get in the playoffs and it's been forever carolina on saturday florida pushing as well minnesota's a playoff team Detroit, it's not and montreal's not but then you get ottawa who's pushing buffalo again pittsburgh st louis stinks but dallas yeah. the islanders boston and then fittingly enough Columbus and Chicago, the last two games, both on the road yeah. for the Flyers. Yeah. We are owed this. We are owed this. We didn't get Patrick Kane. Yep. So we, we passed up on the car for Nolan Patrick. Like, we're, we're owed this in this city, man. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get it done. Come on. Um, let's get to the card tonight. NHL year to date, you're plus 27.02 units. Yeah, well done. We'll get stick taps for that. Uh, let's get into the Colorado-Toronto game tonight. Oh, a lot of offense here. Toronto's been a, a team that's been much better at defending this year, despite the fact that they, I don't think they have a marquee goaltender. Uh, but you like the over in this game. Not a lot of defending tonight, over six and a half. Yeah, six and a half, minus 109. Uh, these teams play overs against each other. The overs, eight, one and one in the last 10 head to head meetings. Um, you know, Toronto's allowed 15 goals in the last four games. Colorado isn't necessarily a get right defensively a team, you know, for their defense, you know, so. Um, and like you said, they're goaltending. Like we saw what Matt Murray the other night. Sam Sonoff's probably going to start tonight. Can he steal a game or two and make 40, you know, 45 saves? Yeah, he's done that, but he's just not consistent. So I think Toronto's going to die under goaltending this year again. Um, so I think we're, we can see some goals here. I don't think 3 3 is out of the uh, out of the question in this one. So Colorado's been, you know, they're, they can, they've been up and down, but they're coming off eight goals against Montreal the other night. So they're feeling it a little bit as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Minnesota, you're going to uh, lay the one here, minus one in the game, at plus 110 at St. Louis. This number seems off to me, Tone, because St. Louis is playing out the string. I think Barubi, I think Chief knows that he's going to be gone there, uh, from what I understand. Um, they are 3-5-2 and two in their last 10. Um, but you look at the the opponent tonight, they're on an absolute heater. 7-0-3 in their last 10 are the Minnesota Wild, sitting in that second spot in the Central. Is this a, is this a flawed line? 
Yeah, I mean minus the money line is minus. Yeah, the money line is minus one forty. I mean, typically I don't like to to lay that. I'd rather go with the minus one to plus one ten. Um, you know, Kaprizov is out, and the Wild in fourteen games before his injury, they gave, they only gave up nineteen goals. They've given up oh. seven goals in the last two. So I don't know. Maybe they tried to open it up a little bit to compensate for him missing. Sure. But I can see them buckling down tonight. Uh, Flurry is great on the road. He's got a point nine two save percentage. Bennington just, you know, he's had a tough year. He's 8.896, same percentage at home. Um, I can see, I can see the Wild winning this game kind of like a 4-1, you know, 3-1 type of game. Get back to their defensive style. I mean, they just lost 5-4 to Arizona. So, you know, I can see a little bit more of a defensive game for Minnesota here. So that's why I'll go with the minus one. And, you know, hopefully they win by two and get a plus money one. Yeah, and St. Louis has really struggled to keep the puck out of their net this year with that donkey. Benning- yeah. I hate Bennington. I think he's a jerk off. He's a head case. Yep. He needs he's a, he needs, a I mean, there's not many guys that I would say this publicly about, but Bennington needs to get that shit kicked out of him. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he really does. That's fake the tough guy thing. He's like 162 pounds, this guy. I've seen him off the ice out of equipment. <laughs> he is a bean pole. <laughs> I'd love to I'd love to bring back, God rest his soul, the great Ray Emery. To go mm-hmm. goalie fight with him and just beat the fucking brakes off that dude. Yeah, just like he did to Hopi, right? Oh, he did. Hopi <laughs> wanted no part of that. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, Razor, Razor could chuck him, man. He was a great guy. Yeah. I know there were some issues with him in Ottawa, and he got his career back on track and learned from it. When he was here in Philly, yeah. he was a great guy to deal with. Yeah. That, that was That's a big element of that cup year for the Flyers in, in 10. Oh, yeah. That he yeah. goes down. I mean, jeez. Yep, that's right. I forgot about that. That was that that's couple the when, he, when they got hurt. Because that that game that he fought Hopi, I think it was maybe it was a Laviolette's first game, maybe or either towards the end of his reign or towards the beginning, maybe. I think I know why. The beginning. I, I kind of remember was, the beginning. Yeah. Right? I think my Washington still blew them out, but they, you know, that was like the start of their, you know, of, of their um ascension that season. Yeah, Washington has scored like their eighth goal in the game. Yeah. And, yep. Uh, and Ray was pissed, and the Flyers just said, "You know what." we're not going down like this um, yep. and went down full length of the ice and a big melee broke out and took Holby. And uh, I'm trying to see when that was the fight. Uh, let's see here. May have been December, 2009, maybe that's when he got fired. Yeah, because, they went to the cup yeah. in 2010. I think it was December. Was there anyone? Yeah, before Lobby came in there. December 8th, I want to say. So it's yeah, really probably the December. day after. Yeah, it's probably the ninth or tenth. It was like his first game, I think. From what I remember. Wow. Yeah. That's how my hockey memory is, man. I just remember, you know, crazy stuff like that. <laughs> it was actually. Oh wow, I'm wrong. We're both wrong. November first, 2013. Yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. It was on the back. Never mind what I just said then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, well, I know uh, Washington did blow them out around when he first, you know, maybe when he got fired or whatever. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, he got fired because he started the Peter Laviolette show with myself and Chris Terry, and we did one show, and he got fired the next day. <laughs> yeah, we didn't say anything that salacious, but that's how it went. We were we had like twelve uh, shows scheduled for the year. We we're going to do it like once a week uh, through the first part of the season to, through the holidays, and he got fired. And Peter Laviolette show, bye bye. Um, all right, Tone, great stuff. We've got uh, Tone on uh, Colorado, Toronto over six and a half at minus one hundred nine. Minnesota minus one tonight in St. Louis, getting plus money here at plus 110. And uh, people can get your stuff on Dimers and uh, where else? Yep, on Twitter at uh, Tones Takes or Daily Hockey Plays. So we can finish out the season strong here. All right, everybody check that stuff out. Give Tone a follow. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you next week.
All right, thank you. There he is, Tums Takes on episode 57 of Stick to Hockey Live. That's going to put a wrap on it. Everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you uh, on the next episode. I think we're maybe one on Friday. Um, trying to get some things together. We've got to do another fan forum as well. I thought that was a huge success, and I think it's a great time to do it. Plus, I'm working on possibly doing another Philadelphia Flyers podcasters roundtable. We did this a couple of years ago when the Flyers fired Dave Hackstall and Scott Gordon was the interim. He actually joined us. We did it at Bullies, uh, not Bullies. We did it, yeah, we did it at the Bullies place at Infinity Live. We had members of Broad Street Hockey. We had members of Off the Post. We had members of all different kinds of podcasts uh, there and did a big panel discussion, brought people into the panel, out of the panel. It was a lot of fun. Um, we may have to, we may be doing that again. I think the, the beginnings beginning workings on getting that done was a great day. So uh, hopefully we can do that and get this thing. Uh, everybody can get the feelings out there, and we can have a good time and talk some Flyers hockey and have the most uh, on site crowd there as well. So we'll see if we can get that done. Maybe a watch party for a road game to follow. So uh, enjoy that as well. So everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five star rating and review, and we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. On the street, you can hear her scream, you're a disgrace, and she slams the door in his drunken face. And now he stands outside, and all the neighbors start to gossip and drool. He cries, oh, girl.